Welcome to the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, where it's all about slashing your debt, slashing your taxes, and creating a liberated lifestyle. And now, your host, who has a vast collection of vintage DC and Marvel comic books, and ironically lives in Minnesota, where his favorite NBA team, the LA Lakers, originated, Dave Denniston. Welcome back, my friends, to another episode of the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping doctors like you slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle. Our next guest, she is the president of Insight Marketing Group since 2006, and they help physicians and private medical practices throughout the U.S. attract and retain patients and rock star employees. She has over 20 years of experience in marketing and business development for startup organizations, even been a marketing director for a Fortune 500 company. Please help me welcome Jennifer Thompson. Welcome to the podcast, Jennifer. Thanks for having me, Dave. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, it's so fun to get to connect with people that serve doctors in, in different ways. And uh, we've, we've certainly touched on marketing from time to time here. I'd love to know a little bit more about your journey and how, how you've gotten to where you're at now. Yeah, totally. So um, I've been in business for myself. I think you alluded to that since 2006. We've been working exclusively with independent physicians since 2008 and have lately gotten into um, helping independent physicians who are entrepreneurs on the side grow their kind of pet projects, if you will. But I kind of got here in a roundabout way. Um, I think all business owners kind of do. I was working for a major company and I was doing marketing for them and I had the best job in the entire world. I got to spend other people's money on big events and sponsorships and kind of community engagement. Literally part of my days, um, I was required to go to Starbucks, get a cup of coffee and make sure that everybody was having a good day and, and things were going well because I was working for a large um, uh, real estate investment trust. Mm. And um, I ran for public office and I lost. Wow. And when I lost uh, my bid for public office, I just couldn't go back to work. And that's kind of how it all started. People started calling me and asking me if I would do marketing for their businesses. And one by one, I started um, putting a team together and executing marketing strategy and tactical um, kind of boots on the ground campaigns. And that led me into healthcare. I ran for public office again and won and just finished up an eight year stint as a, um, a local elected official. And um, now I'm back full time in the business and it's myself and a team of about eight other people. And our offices are actually inside of a very large independent orthopedic practice with about 30 providers and um, 300 plus employees and a surgery center. So we are, mm. as I'm talking to you, I have a team inside of the operating room right now doing a, um, a recording of a hand surgery for a marketing piece we're going to do. So you're definitely talking to doctors regularly. You're around them all the time. You're Every officing day. with them. They're texting me as we speak. It's constant. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Certainly, I, I think we, we could talk a lot about COVID-19 and the, the impacts on private practices and physicians, and we definitely should, should spend a good deal of time talking about that. I'm curious 
um, before we talk about kind of during this, what, what was your take on, on the business of medicine pre-COVID-19? Um, you know, really with, with the regulatory burdens, the, the kind of the situation we were in of patients being able to choose their providers and not so much using necessarily a referral from a PCP to choose their specialty doctor. We were doing a lot more marketing from a relation of um, direct to consumer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the regulatory burdens really tied our hands in so many cases. I mean, HIPAA is a very real challenge for physicians when it comes to online reviews and how do you protect your digital presence when you really can't respond to a lot of the things that are being said about you out there. And the situation that we were in, you know, let's say late February, we were at just about full employment. And being at full employment made the challenge of keeping good employees difficult. And when you don't have really good employees, the patient experience suffers. And I say that because a lot of the marketing that we do is all around this idea that you have to you have to ensure a positive patient experience, but that the patient experience begins long before the patient comes into the office. And so they're moving into a neighborhood, they're looking for a pediatrician, they're asking their neighbors using Facebook or Nextdoor, one of those apps, they're getting that kind of initial experience about your practice based on what other people are saying. And so we were constantly kind of walking the line about maintaining and promoting a positive digital footprint that impacts the patient's overall experience even before they come to the practice. And a lot of what we were doing was educating our employees to become your best marketers. And you take that and come March and COVID hits. And, you know, after we kind of get our hands around um, kind of what the practice is going to be dealing with moving forward, um, now it's all about patient readiness and really preparing patients for what their experience at the practice is going to be. And what I mean by that is, sure, we're open and we're committed to keeping you safe, but now your appointment is going to look a little bit different. It might be on a computer. It might be on a cell phone, or it may be you get to come into the office. And and maybe when you come in the office, you're going to be waiting in your car until we call you in and you can't bring your you know, a caregiver with you and you have to stay six feet apart and everybody's going to be in a mask. And it's just the dynamic has changed so much. I think we're getting back to whatever this new normal is actually going to be. But, um, you know, before we were at full employment and it was a completely different situation and now not so much the case. Well, I have to imagine them. There's so many different practice issues. Uh, Of course, the, the first one being just getting revenue in the door, right, you know, was a big issue with many states not allowing elective surgeries, probably most states, I would imagine. I don't know about all of them, but I know here in Minnesota, that was the case. And, and for a lot of physicians I talked to across the country, that that was the case. Um, what was it like for some of the people you office with and your clients and, and people like that? Was, was um, a lot of electric surgeries canceled and people just hurting? What, what has that been like? So, I mean, we work mainly with surgical subspecialties. And so um, orthopedics, ophthalmology, um, ear, nose, throat, vascular surgeons, groups like that. And just like in Minnesota, we're in Florida, we have clients all over, but I would say 
75% are in the state of Florida. And just like everywhere else, um, elective surgeries were completely canceled. And so I think what happened first was, you know, just like any business, we had to like get a, get a, a feel for the landscape. And, you know, there were a lot of employees that were immediately furloughed and, you know, people applied for PPP. And as those loans started becoming it started coming in and kind of, there was a little bit more of a calm and you could start planning again. Um, immediately everybody went to telemedicine and our role in a, from a marketing standpoint, and most of our clients are long-term clients. I mean, some we've had now since right at the beginning of 2005, 2006, 2007. And we have a very long-standing relationship. And so we pivoted very quickly to find a couple of solutions from a telemedicine standpoint to get the practices up and running. So at the very least, they could um, post-operatively see patients or have some initial consults or at least provide some level of care. And because CMS um, relaxed the regulatory environment in so many different ways, whether it was being able to practice across state lines or um, really like dropping down all the minimums related to um, to PHI and HIPAA that you know, we had some practices using um, FaceTime or using Skype and using Zoom just to deliver care. So our first step was to get it where they could get revenue back in the door and telemedicine was a piece of that puzzle. It was a very large piece of that puzzle. And you know that plus the fact that we had all these employees that were being furloughed with practices, another area that was a real focus was how do you communicate and keep your employees engaged while they're at home? So that when things, when things turn back on, because here's the thing about elective surgery. Yeah, it was canceled for now, but all it did was create this enormous backlog of people that were still in pain and they needed surgery. And that means the providers are going to be working, you know, seven days a week until they get through that backlog and they need to be fully staffed in order to do that. And so it was kind of this dichotomy between getting the telemedicine and getting a revenue stream up and running and then making sure that when things turned back on, we had the right employees that were already trained and up to speed to be able to actually deliver medicine. Because even if the physicians, you know, yeah, they were at home doing telemedicine visits or occasionally coming in for an emergency sur surgery, but it takes seven people for the most part to work on a team to keep a physician where he's at full capacity or she's at full capacity. And if we didn't have those people in place, that was kind of the bigger issue. And so it was kind of juggling of all of those different things. And I will say from a marketing standpoint, we found ourselves um, busier than we've ever been because being able to communicate with patients and with employees in real time every single day became a full-time job um, with overtime for every single person on the team because every practice that we work with, and there's a lot of them, needed everything yesterday when it came to marketing and communication. And so it was just a busy time. And, and thank goodness it's, it's kind of leveled off as we're like going through whatever this new normal is and it's not as crazy as it was, but it was a crazy time for a couple weeks there. So what do you think are, are some of the top lessons that, 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 were changes in the game that you think you would give to physicians today that are listening to this podcast, which I'm assuming is probably coming out in a little over a month. 
So I think, um, and I can speak from a marketing perspective, but I think that what I really saw is, is the payoff on the investment that was made with those practices who took marketing seriously all along. And what I mean by that is, you know, some practices, their idea of marketing is just to have a website up or, you know, you've got doctors that'll say, I don't need to worry about social media. I've got that agency over there that I'm on, I'm on Facebook. Don't worry about that. And yeah, I'm not worried about sending emails to my patients because what am I going to tell them about? And so you have like this school of thought where, where, you know, marketing was this thing all the way over, like on the other side of the room. And once in a while I wanted to like send out an advertisement or, or maybe post something on my website and that's what marketing did. But the practices who really excelled during this and probably have increased market share are those practices that made that investment and took it seriously all along. And what I mean by that is when, when, when the name of the game was you had to produce your, the, your protocols that had been issued by the CDC and they wanted them on your website. If you had a relationship with somebody and it could be done within five minutes, or you have some practices where it took them weeks to get a change to their website because they never made the investment to update the number one communication tool that their patients would be looking for in order to have those CDC protocols up on the site. Or you had practices that had to close, maybe they had five offices and they had to close two of them during COVID because they didn't have either the staff or the resources, or they just didn't have the, the funds because they had to shut down surgery. When they closed those offices, you know, if they hadn't invested, been investing in marketing all along, it was very difficult for them to go in and get Apple Maps and Google Maps and all of those maps and directory listings to change on a dime. Sure. And, you know, it, it just it just went on and on. But I think the number one way of all the communication channels the number one way that physicians and, and practices were communicating and keeping their brand identity up and relevant was through social media. So if, if a practice had been investing in being what I refer to as in social versus just being on social, and that means interacting with patients, putting out great content, things of that nature, those practices are so much better off today. And we see it because we see the engagement numbers. We monitor them all the time. And we see, we were able to communicate with patients that telemedicine was an option. We were able to do patient testimonials in the telemedicine space very quickly. We're able to um, really prepare patients for what that appointment is gonna look like. And if you were already used to it, we were able to use like private social media pages where you only invited your employees to communicate to your employees outside of an email system. So what I mean by that is I have a large ophthalmology practice, 350 or so employees, I think like seven locations. And those docs ended up letting everybody go home and they paid them for it. So they had paid like their, their employees would be on call and whatnot during the process or would be able to like do some busy work. But basically they went home, didn't work. And that was that. So the administrator needed a plan to get everybody ramped back up to come back into the practice. And they used the tools that we would typically use from a marketing standpoint in order to communicate with those employees. And so we were able to do 
staff meetings, HR updates, um, what the protocols were going to be like for check-in, things of that nature, using Facebook Live within the closed Facebook groups. So you were able to keep your employees engaged, get them ready for what they were going to walk into so that on day one, you weren't trying to train employees in small groups of like four and five people. Instead, you were doing it all using the marketing channels that had been in place for years and you just never thought to use them in that way. And so I really think, you know, to answer your question, and you can tell I'm long-winded because I was in politics for so many years, but to answer <laughs> your question is the, the, the practices and the physicians who took it seriously when there was, it was just one of those things to do, marketing, they're the ones who came out of this better at the end because they already had those audiences built. They already had all the mechanisms in place. All they had to do was pivot on what they were communicating and the ones who didn't got left in the dust. So let me um, pivot the, the conversation a little bit to, we have a lot of residents and fellows, maybe some medical students, young attendings listening to this podcast and maybe they, they don't have a private practice yet. Maybe they're trying to decide between having, joining a private practice or having their own private practice or uh, being a hospital employee. And I have to imagine that with so many, many of us that have lots of student debt, that it's a daunting task to think about and may even be financially irresponsible to set up your, your own practice. What would your advice be to young physicians with you having a lot of experience dealing with private practices? Um, what should they be thinking about as, um, as they consider what path they should be going down? That's, a, that's an interesting question. So I can't speak to what's in their heart, you know, and, and what their financial situations are, because I, I would guess that for some people, it makes sense to go work for a hospital and, you know, maybe it makes sense to go into a rural community and that you can have some help paying off that debt. Or for some, there may be those aspirations to work for an independent group and eventually to work your way up to partner. I can speak to it from a marketing standpoint. And I think that especially the folks that are coming out now, let's say finishing up and, and getting ready to go into whatever that next site, that next phase of their life is, they're digital natives versus you know the, the last round of physicians in the last 10 years, they were probably early adopters of digital technology, but not so much natives where this is, you know, the phone is an extension of them. And the biggest piece of advice that I can say is that whether you're an orthopedic surgeon that's gonna go work for a rural hospital, a large hospital group or an independent practice, you may not be there your entire life. And so to take the time now to make sure that your digital footprint is clean, make sure that your, um, the bio that attaches to your license and your NP into the NPI database has accurate information. And I say that because all of the directory listings, and there's over a hundred of them, but think about like health grades and vitals and rate MDs and Google and all those, whether you choose to or not doctor, there's going to be a profile on you. And all those profiles are coming from the, the NPI database. And I can't tell you how many times that I'll have a surgeon who is now probably in his late forties or fifties and where he went, um, for his residency is still listed 
on his profiles and it's because it's all tied to the MPI database. And so if I was gonna give a piece of advice for anybody getting out there, I would say protect your digital footprint um, just like you would your social security number. Make sure you go out there and you claim all those profiles. Make sure that your information is correct because you may start off at a rural hospital, but you may end up in an independent practice. And the, the digital footprint about you is how people, potential patients, and potential employers are going to find you. And that's how they're going to research you. And it's now tied to you, um, just like your passport or your social security number. Great. I love it. Great advice. Well, I know there's, there's so much we could talk about. Um, do, do you have any other just, just general thoughts on marketing and doctors and this environment that we're on now that we haven't had a chance to address yet? I, I would say that if you're an independent practice and you're looking to get started in marketing, find somebody who works with doctors. You know, sure, work with us. I mean, that's great. But find just find somebody who works with doctors and don't let people take you to the cleaners because so many times you see companies out there or individuals who think because you have the word, the letters M and D after your name that you're made of money and marketing doesn't have to be expensive. I mean, it's expensive either in money or time and energy, but if you find the right people to work with and you build the right relationships, marketing can be cost effective. And in today's in time, you can, track every dollar you spend to see what kind of ROI you're going to get. So don't let someone take you to the cleaners and charge you hands over fist money and think just because you have an MD that you're made of money because it doesn't have to be expensive to be good. I love it. And where can people find you if they have more questions, want to check you out? I know you got a podcast. I do. Um, do. Absolutely. So they can come to, they can find us at the doctor marketing tips podcast on iTunes or whatever your favorite podcast player is. And you can always find us on our website, which is insight, I-N-S-I-G-H-T, M as in marketing, G as in group.com. All right, my friends, there you go. Make sure to check them out, listen to the podcast. That I might be on it if, if you listen to it before too long. So anyhow, we, <laughs> uh, we thank you, Jennifer, so much for your time and for sharing thoughts on, on what's happening in the world today. Um, for the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, this is Dave Deniston. Remember, my friends, remember to slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle.